Section two of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John B. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume One by Thomas Stevens. Chapter One, Part Two. Over the Sierra Nevada, Part Two rougher and more hilly become the roads as we gradually penetrate farther and farther into the foothills we are now in far-famed placer county and the evidences of the hardy gold diggers work in pioneer days are all about us in every gulch and ravine are to be seen broken and decaying sluice boxes bare whitish-looking patches of washed-out gravel show where a claim had been worked over and abandoned in every direction are old water ditches heaps of gravel and abandoned shafts all telling in language more eloquent than word or pen of the palmy days of forty-nine and succeeding years when in these deep gulches and on those yellow hills thousands of bronzed red-shirted miners dug and delved and rock the cradle for the precious yellow dust and nuggets but all is now changed and where were hundreds before now only a few old-timers roam the foothills prospecting and working over the old claims but dust nuggets and pockets still form the burden of conversation in the village barroom or the crossroads saloon now and then a strike is made by some lucky or perhaps it turns out unlucky prospector this for a few days kindles anew the slumbering spark of gold fever that lingers in the veins of the people here ever ready to kindle into a flame at every bit of exciting news in the way of a lucky find near home or new gold fields in some distant land these occasions never fail to have their legitimate effect upon the business of the bar where the old-timers congregate to learn the news and between drinks yarns of the good old days of forty-nine and fifty of streaks of luck of big nuggets and wild times are spun over and over again although the palmy days of the diggins are no more yet the finder of a pocket these days seems not a whit wiser than in the days when pockets more frequently rewarded the patient prospector than they do now and at newcastle a station near the old-time mining camps of ophir and gold hill i hear of a man who lately struck a pocket out of which he dug forty thousand dollars and forthwith proceeded to imitate his reckless predecessors by going down to frisco and entering upon a career of protracted sprees and debauchery that cut short his earthly career in less than six months and wafted his riotous spirit to where there are no more forty thousand dollar pockets not quite so bad was the case of two others who but a few days before my arrival took out twelve hundred dollars they simply in the language of the goldfields turned themselves loose made things hum and whooped em up around the barroom of their village 
for exactly three days when dead broke they took to the gulches again to search for more you oughter have happened through here with that instrument of yourn about that time young feller you might have kept as full as a tick till they were busted remarked a slouchy-looking old fellow whose purple-tinted nose plainly indicated that he had devoted a good part of his existence to the business of getting himself full as a tick every time he ran across the chance quite a different picture is presented by an industrious old mexican whom i happened to see away down in the bottom of a deep ravine along which swiftly hurries a tiny stream he is diligently shoveling dirt into a rude sluice-box which he has constructed in the bed of the stream at a point where the water rushes swiftly down a declivity setting my bicycle up against a rock i clamber down the steep bank to investigate in tones that savor of anything but satisfaction with the result of his labor he informs me that he has to work most infernal hard to pan out two dollars worth of dust a day i've had to work all over that pile of gravel you see yonder to clean up seventeen dollars worth of dust further volunteered the old greaser as i picked up a spare shovel and helped him remove a couple of boulders that he was trying to roll out of his war i condole with him at the low grade of the gravel he is working hope he may strike it rich one of these days and take my departure up here i find it preferable to keep the railway track alongside of which there are occasionally rideable side paths while on the wagon roads little or no riding can be done on account of the hills and the sticky nature of the red clayey soil from the railway track near newcastle is obtained a magnificent view of the lower country traversed during the last three days with the sacramento river winding its way through its broad valley to the sea deep cuts and high embankments follow each other in succession as the roadbed is now broken through a hill now carried across a deep gulch and anon winds around the next hill and over another ravine before reaching auburn i pass through bloomer cut where perpendicular walls of boulders loom up on both sides of the track looking as if the slightest touch or jar would unloose them and send them bounding and crashing on the top of the passing train as it glides along or drop down on the stray cycler who might venture through on the way past auburn and on up to clipper gap the dry yellow dirt under the overhanging rocks and in the crevices is so suggestive of dust that i take a small prospecting glass which i have in my tool bag and do a little prospecting without however finding sufficient color to induce me to abandon my journey and go to digging before reaching clipper gap it begins to rain while i'm taking dinner at that place it quits raining 
and begins to come down by buckets full so that i have to lie over for the remainder of the day the hills around clipper gap are gay and white with chaparral blossom which gives the whole landscape a pleasant gala day appearance it rains all the evening and at night it turns to heavy damp snow which clings to the trees and bushes in the morning the landscape which a few hours before was white with chaparral bloom is now even more white with the bloom of the snow my hostelry at clipper gap is a kind of half ranch half roadside inn down in a small valley near the railway and mine host a jovial irish blade of the good old donnybrook fair variety who came here in eighteen fifty one during the great rush to the goldfields and failing to make his fortune in the diggings wisely decided for his family and settled down quietly on a piece of land in preference to returning to the old sod he turns out to be a bit of a sport meself and after showing me a number of minor pets and favorites such as game chickens brahma geese and a litter of young bull pups he proudly leads the way to the barn to show me barney his greatest pet of all whom he at present keeps securely tied up for safe keeping more than one evil-minded person has a hankering after barney's gore since his last battle for the championship of placer county he explains in which he inflicted severe punishment on his adversary and resolutely refused to give in although his opponent on this important occasion was an imported dog brought into the county by barney's enemies who hoped to fill their pockets by betting against the local champion but barney who is a medium-sized ferocious-looking bull terrier scooped the crowd backing the imported dog to the extent of their pile by walking all around his adversary and thereby stirring up the enmity of said crowd against himself who so says barney's master have never yet been able to scare up a dog able to down barney as we stand in the barn door barney eyes me suspiciously and then looks at his master but luckily for me his master fails to give the word noticing that the dog is scared and seemed all over i inquire the reason and am told that he has been fighting wild boars in the chaparral of which gentle pastime he is extremely fond yes and he'll tackle a cougar too of which there are plenty of them around here if that cowardly animal would only keep out of the trees admiringly continues mine host as he orders barney into his empty salt barrel again today is sunday and it rains and snows with little interruption so that i am compelled to stay over till monday morning while it's raining at clipper gap it's snowing higher up in the mountains and a railway employee volunteers the cheering information that during the winter the snow has drifted and accumulated in the sheds so that a train can barely squeeze through 
leaving no room for a person to stand to one side. I have my own ideas of whether this state of affairs is probable or not, however, and determined to pay no heed to any of these rumors, but to push ahead. So I put out on Monday morning and take to the railway track again, which is the only passable road since the tremendous downpour of the last two days. The first thing I come across is a tunnel burrowing through a hill. The tunnel was originally built the proper size, but after being walled up there were indications of a general cave-in. So the company had to go to work and build another thick rock wall inside the other, which leaves barely room for the trains to pass through without touching the sides. It is anything but an inviting path around the hill, but it is far the safer of the two. Once my foot slips, and I unceremoniously sit down and slide around in the soft yellow clay, in my frantic endeavors to keep from slipping down the hill. This hardly enhances my personal appearance, but it doesn't matter much, as I am where no one can see me, and a clay-besmeared individual is worth a dozen dead ones. Soon I'm on the track again briskly trudging up the steep grade toward the snow line, which I can plainly see, at no great distance ahead, through the windings around the mountains. All through here the only riding to be done is along occasional short stretches of difficult path beside the track, where it happens to be a hard surface. And on the plank platforms of the stations, where I generally take a turn or two to satisfy the consuming curiosity of the miners, who can't imagine how anybody can ride a thing that won't stand alone, at the same time arguing among themselves as to whether I ride along on one of the rails or bump over the protruding ties. This morning I follow the railway track around the famous Cape Horn, a place that never fails to photograph itself permanently on the memory of all who once see it. For scenery that is magnificently grand and picturesque, the view from where the railway track curves around Cape Horn is probably without a peer on the American continent. When the Central Pacific Railway Company started to grade their roadbed around here, men were first swung over this precipice from above with ropes until they made standing room for themselves, and then a narrow ledge was cut on the almost perpendicular side of the rocky mountain around which the railway now winds. Standing on this ledge, the rocks tower skyward on one side of the track so close as almost to touch the passing train, and on the other is a sheer precipice of 2,500 feet, where one can stand on the edge and see far below the north fork of the American River, which looks like a thread of silver laid along the narrow valley, and sends up a faraway, scarcely perceptible roar as it rushes and rumbles along over its rocky bed. The railroad track is carefully looked after at this point, and I was able, by turning around and taking the downgrade, to experience the novelty of a short ride. 
the memory of which will be ever welcome should one live to be as old as the oldest inhabitant the scenery for the next few miles is glorious the grand and imposing mountains are partially covered with stately pines down to their bases around which winds the turbulent american river receiving on its boisterous march down the mountains tribute from hundreds of smaller streams and rivulets which come splashing and dashing out of the dark canyons and crevices of the mighty hills the weather is capricious and by the time i reach dutch flat ten miles east of cape horn the floodgates of heaven are thrown open again and less than an hour succeeds in impressing dutch flat upon my memory as a place where there is literally water water everywhere but not a drop to no i cannot finish the quotation what is the use of lying there's plenty to drink a dutch flat plenty of everything but there is no joke about the water it's pouring in torrents from above the streets are shallow streams and from scores of ditches and gullies comes the merry music of swiftly rushing waters while to crown all scores of monsters streams are rushing with a hissing sound from the mouths of huge pipes or nozzles and playing against the surrounding hills for dutch flat and neighboring camps are the great center of hydraulic mining operations in california at the present day streams of water higher up the mountains are taken from their channels and conducted hither through miles of wooden flumes and iron piping and from the mouths of huge nozzles are thrown with tremendous force against the hills literally mowing them down the rain stops as abruptly as it began the sun shines out clear and warm as i push ahead once more gradually i have been getting up into the snow and ever and anon a muffled roar comes booming and echoing over the mountains like the sound of distant artillery it is the sullen noise of monstrous snow-slides among the deep dark canyons of the mountains though a wicked person at gold run winked at another man and tried to make me believe it was the grizzlies going about the mountains like roaring lions seeking whom they might devour the great voices of nature the imposing scenery the gloomy pine forests which have now taken the place of the gay chaparral combine to impress one who all alone looks and listens with a realizing sense of his own littleness what a change has come over the whole face of nature in a few days travel but four days ago i was in the semi-tropical sacramento valley now gaunt winter reigns supreme and the only vegetation is the hardy pine this afternoon i pass a small camp of digger indians to whom my bicycle is as much a mystery as was the first locomotive yet they scarcely turn their uncovered heads to look and my cheery greeting of how scarce elicits a grunt and a stare in reply 
long years of chronic hunger and wretchedness have well-nigh eradicated what little energy these diggers ever possessed the discovery of gold among their native mountains has been their bane the only antidote the rude grave beneath the pine and the happy hunting-grounds beyond the next morning finds me briskly trundling through the great gloomy snowsheds that extend with but few breaks for the next forty miles when i emerge from them on the other end i shall be over the summit and well down the eastern slope of the mountains these huge sheds have been built at great expense to protect the track from the vast quantities of snow that fall every winter on these mountains they wind around the mountain sides their roofs built so slanting that the mighty avalanche of rock and snow that comes thundering down from above glides harmlessly over and down the chasm on the other side while the train glides along unharmed beneath them the section houses the water tanks stations and everything along here are all under the gloomy but friendly shelter of the great protecting sheds fortunately i find the difficulties of getting through much less than i had been led by rumors to anticipate and although no riding can be done in the sheds i make very good progress and trudge merrily along thankful of a chance to get over the mountains without having to wait a month or six weeks for the snow outside to disappear at intervals short breaks occur in the sheds where the track runs over a deep gulch or ravine or at one of these openings the sinuous structure can be traced for quite a long distance winding its tortuous way around the rugged mountain sides and through the gloomy pine forest all but buried under the snow it requires no great effort of the mind to imagine it to be some wonderful relic of a past civilization when a venturesome race of men thus dared to invade these vast wintry solitudes and burrow their way through the deep snow like moles burrowing through the loose earth not a living thing is in sight and the only sounds the occasional roar of a distant snowslide and the mournful sighing of the breeze as it plays a weird melancholy dirge through the gently swaying branches of the tall sombre pines whose stately trunks are half buried in the omnipresent snow to-night i stay at the summit hotel seven thousand and seventeen feet above the level of the sea the summit is nothing if not snowy and i'm told that thirty feet on the level is no unusual thing up here indeed it looks as if snowballing on the glorious fourth were no great luxury at the summit house yet notwithstanding the decidedly wintry aspect of the sierras the low temperature of the rockies farther east is unknown and although there is snow to the right snow to the left snow all around and ice underfoot i travel all through the gloomy sheds in my shirt-sleeves with but 
a gossamer rubber coat thrown over my shoulders to keep off the snow water which is constantly melting and dripping through the roof making it almost like going through a shower of rain often when it is warm and balmy outside it's cold and frosty under the sheds and the dripping water falling among the rocks and timbers freezes into a manner of fantastic shapes whole menageries of ice animals birds and all imaginable objects are here reproduced in clear crystal ice while in many places the ground is covered with an irregular coating of the same that often has to be chipped away from the rails east of the summit is a succession of short tunnels the space between being covered with snowshed and when i came through the openings and crevices through which the smoke from the engines is wont to make its escape and through which a few rays of light penetrate the gloomy interior are blocked up with snow so that is both dark and smoky and groping one's way with a bicycle over the rough surface is anything but pleasant going but there is nothing so bad it seems but that it can get a great deal worse and before getting far i hear an approaching train and forthwith proceed to occupy as small an amount of space as possible against the side while three laboriously puffing engines tugging a long heavy freight train up the steep grade go past these three puffing smoke-emitting monsters fill every nook and corner of the tunnel with dense smoke which creates a darkness by the side of which the natural darkness of the tunnel is daylight in comparison here is a darkness that can be felt i have to grope my way forward inch by inch afraid to set my foot down until i have felt the place for fear of blundering into a culvert at the same time never knowing whether there is room just where i am to get out of the way of a train a cyclometer wouldn't have to exert itself much through here to keep tally of the revolutions for besides advancing with extreme caution i pause every few steps to listen as in the oppressive darkness and equally oppressive silence the senses are so keenly on the alert that the gentle rattle of the bicycle over the uneven surface seems to make a noise that would prevent me from hearing an approaching train this finally comes to an end and at the opening in the sheds i climb up into a pine tree to obtain a view of donner lake called the gem of the sierras it is a lovely little lake and amid the pines and on its shores occurred one of the most pathetically tragic events of the old emigrant days briefly related a small party of emigrants became snowed in while camped at the lake and when toward spring a rescuing party reached the spot the last survivor of the partly crazed with the fearful suffering he had undergone 
was sitting on a log savagely gnawing away at a human arm the last remnant of his companions in misery off whose emaciated carcasses he had for some time been living my road now follows the course of the truckee river down the eastern slope of the sierras and across the boundary line into nevada the truckee is a rapid rollicking stream from one end to the other and affords dam sites and mill sites without limit there is little rideable road down the truckee canyon but before reaching verdi a station a few miles over the nevada line i find good road and ride up and dismount at the door of the little hotel as coolly as if i had rode without dismount all the way from frisco here at verdi is a camp of wasso indians who at once showed their superiority to the diggers by clustering around and examining the bicycle with great curiosity verdi is less than forty miles from the summit of the sierras and from the porch of the hotel i can see the snowstorm still fiercely raging up in the place where i stood a few hours ago yet one can feel that he is already in a drier and altogether different climate the great masses of clouds travelling inward from the coast with their burdens of moisture like messengers of peace with presents to a far country being unable to surmount the great mountain barrier that towers skyward across their path unload their precious cargoes on the mountains and the parched plains of nevada open their thirsty mouths in vain at verdi i bid good-bye to the golden state and follow the course of the sparkling truckee toward the forty-mile desert End of section.